So you've probably heard me talk up the Fit CFO, which is a full-service bookkeeping, CPA, and financial planning firm specifically for the health and fitness industry. But let me be real with you. Do these guys pay me to create these ads? 100%. But I'm also an actual customer. Like, no bullshit. And the amount of detail and attention they gave me when working through some serious financial planning recently was out of this world. As many of you know, my business partner in my real estate holdings company passed away recently. This triggered a financial scenario I was not prepared for, buying out all of his equity, which was a seven-figure amount. So now I have to go to the bank and sell them on giving me this massive amount of money and quickly. And with interest rates as high as they are, I needed to make sure my personal and business financials looked as attractive as possible to the bank to get the best rate and terms. Luckily, I had the Fit CFO in my corner, and they were able to provide the proper tax strategies and financial planning moves that made the very first bank I pitched give me the green light immediately. Their ability to customize a financial strategy based on your specific situation is world-class. So if you want to work with a firm that knows exactly how to tailor their bookkeeping, tax strategies, and even handle the entire payroll side of your business, you need to check out the Fit CFO. Or if you're simply tired of taking shitty advice from your local H&R block or being stressed out come tax season, head over to thefitcfo.com backslash WTF and book a free strategy call with them so you can explain exactly where your business is at and learn what financial strategies they would recommend you implement next tax season. And as a bonus, they're giving away their entire financial blueprint course, which is full of incredible resources like pre-built financial projection spreadsheets, business plan templates, and understanding how the Profit First model really works entirely for free to my audience. Again, that is fitcfo.com backslash WTF. So what are you waiting for? It's time to get your financial shit together and the Fit CFO can get you there. All right, so on this episode, we've got another case study brought to you by the Jim Real Estate Company. I am traveling around the country and meeting up with gym owners and checking out the buildings that they've either built from the ground up or that they've bought and retrofit to suit the needs of their gym. And in this particular case study, I'm talking with Steve Pinkerton, who owns Vitality Fitness in Concord, North Carolina. Steve built a 50,000 square foot facility. Now in this 50,000 square foot facility, and this is from the ground up, he didn't buy this. He bought the land and built this from the ground up. He has 30,000 square feet on floor one, 20,000 square feet on floor two. Now his gym alone, his gym is very successful. It does about $80,000 per month. But the building, because he overbuilt it and he leases out all the extra space in his facility, generates him an additional $50,000 per month in lease revenue. Guys, if you've ever thought about buying an oversized property and you wanted to put other tenants in it so that they can cash flow you in addition to the revenue your gym makes, you are not going to want to miss this episode. And as always, if you have any commercial real estate needs at all anywhere in the country, I would love to work with you and show you what the Jim Real Estate has to offer. Go ahead and shoot me a DM on Instagram at Jim Real Estate. And I'd love to hear about your project and we can talk about how we can help. All right, on with the episode. All right, guys, what is up? It is Stu. It's another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And I've got uh, my man Steve Pinkerton here. We're talking some Jim Real Estate here. You're the only person I personally know that has taken on something this fucking large. Would you do me a favor just to set the context for everyone? I just want to go through the basic numbers of just so people can get a scope of the context of this place. What year did you decide or did you start the process of building this building? We were three years in. So 2013, we had two years left in our original lease and the land, that was when the market was starting to come back around and starting to correct itself a little bit, the commercial side. Landlord came and said, hey, we're going to need to make some adjustments when we do our renewal. And I think I was paying like 3,600 a month at the time. And we were going to jump to 7,100 or 7,250 yeah. or something. I said, man, there's got to be a better solution out there. So we started to look, we looked for property for maybe 14, 15 months. And then 2014-ish, we started construction okay. on this site right here. So, okay, 2014, when did it, when was it complete? Oh man, it was a 29-month bloodbath. Okay. Between the weather, between the financing, between construction, anything that could have went wrong, it went wrong. 
And so everyone listening, so this was a uh, buy dirt and build, right? So 29 months, over two years, what was your all-in cost? 2.6, call it 2.6. 2.6 all-in. Uh, stats on the building, how large is the facility? It's a 50,000 square foot uh, uh, footprint, but we've got a 30,000 square foot first floor and a 20,000 square foot mezzanine. And then what is the outside, like acreage wise, what do you have on the actual parcel? We've got four acres on this lot and then we bought the lot adjacent to it. Um, and that is just under three. At the time we couldn't afford that lot. So I had a client that needed to park some money somewhere. He bought it, held it for three years. And then we did a deal to where at the end of three years, we agreed on a price. I could either take it or he can go sell it to someone else. And got we it. Took it. So all in 4.3 acre or how many? How so uh, all in 7.75, 7 7 three quarters. What's your plan on the other parcel? Uh, well, for a while, if, if I would even have mentioned anything, my wife would have left me. <laughs> uh, but now we rent to a church and that church uses that lot as a parking lot. And so parking, do we. Yeah. So they've came in, they cleared it, they graded it. They put a ton of gravel down. So they did all that for us because they needed the 190 spots of parking or whatever. In a perfect world, if the, let's say the church wasn't here, I would have put pickleball courts sure. over there right yeah. away and just kind of wait and see what the rest of the area was. Um, so yeah, nothing, you know, as long as the church is, is here leasing space from us, we'll, we'll keep that and just sit on it and let it appreciate. Jesus saves and Jesus pays, man. That's those <laughs> guys, They have no problem throwing money at shit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, 50,000 square feet, the gym, your, the main operating entity when it came in here, is, that's, what's that? How much was that for downstairs? I had to have, as an owner occupier, you had to be 51% of not only the square footage, but also your rent roll. Because that's, you did SBA. Uh, initially I did SBA, but even when I refinanced, they still, in order to get the, the tax breaks for owner-occupier, the, the truest requires me to be 51% of both. Okay. So on paper, we're 25,010 uh, square feet for the gym, and that leaves me you know, 24,990 for the rental space. Got it. Probably a little less than that, but it's, it's close. Just for everyone listening on this, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, I want to I wanna do SBA. I want to buy a building. I'm good being the owner-occupier there. You look at this, this is much more of like an investor type scenario. So that that people are like, well, how does both work? Like you could go in and if you can get the SBA to sign off on this thing and you buy the property and you're the main tenant, but it the second you're really playing more investor, you're gonna just need the refi, buy have so have the other bank buy out the SBA because they're just not in the business of of uh, helping investors. It's meant for small business owners like us to, to kind of get their start. But this is, I mean we were talking rent roll before. So this is 50,000 square feet. And then what is your monthly rent roll on this? Uh, just under 50,000. Our goal was 50,000. That was what, eight years ago, I talked to some really smart guys and they said, hey, you know, everybody doesn't ever pick a number. They don't pick a number of what that passive revenue needs to be. So, so you see people just chasing this ceiling that doesn't exist. And so eight years ago, I said, man, if I could get to $50,000 in passive revenue from my rental income, uh, that would be the number that that we'd want. So I chased it for eight years, and we were like forty nine nine seventy. So we're right there. We're right at it. On top of the revenue of the gym. Yep. And was the gym? What's a good month of the gym right now? You know, our goal is eighty eight thousand a month in gross revenue, and if we can get that number to twenty five to thirty in profit, then we're we're doing pretty good. Okay. So and I just want to I'm framing all this up for the scope of everybody. Like again, like this something like this when. Vitality at your old location that I saw, what were you doing monthly there? Like when you took this on and a bank's looking at you, they want to see a debt service coverage. Yep. You can't be doing $24,000 a month and then them to give you a thumbs up on a two point, you know, on a loan over $2 million. What were you doing in revenue then? We were right around 50. Okay. We were so, around 50. We were really lean. Yeah. You know, so they liked it, but the banks didn't understand. They don't understand the small boutique style gym. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they, they, they understand Gold's gym, Planet Fitness, the big box gyms, hmm. and they're scared of those, which sure. are, right, rightly so. Uh, so there's, there's so much education that had to take place of why it made sense because we were, you know, as a crow flies, you're a mile and a half down the, down the street. No one's leaving. So every member that we have is coming with us. That revenue that we show uh, that's been consistent for four years, it's, it's still going to be there. So we, that was the kind of the baseline that we tried to work off of but it took a long time to get them comfortable with that. Would you remember during that process with the financing, what was your biggest hurdle? What was the part? Because that's normally the part where 
I could be working with someone and we've got it and it's in the 25th hour the fucking deal falls apart. Something doesn't check out. The underwriters are just like, I don't like this. And the, even the loan officer, because he wants his fucking payday on the loan, mm-hmm. he can't force it through underwriting. What was your biggest, you have a moment where you had a scare like this wasn't going to work or we got to switch up, we had to try a different bank. Yeah, the crazy part was we went through uh, 10 banks. So we went through that ten process, banks. 10 banks. <laughs> and, and and that's why I always laugh when you see these, you know, the, the dumb Instagram things are like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, it'll just fall into place, man. That couldn't be further from the truth because if it was, if I was waiting for something to fall in my lap, we would never be here. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're literally scratching and clawing and trying to jam that square peg in a round hole the entire time. Because every time underwriting would come up, they'd have a couple questions and then those couple questions would lead to like 10 more questions and then you just get stonewalled after that and then we just go through that over and over in the process of going to a new bank it's not like, it's not like you BB&T. can pick up the work yeah. that you had at the last one bring it to the next guy no it's starting fresh over start all over again and then someone else comes into your business and asks different questions about all your numbers and all this and, and it was it was uh man it was a disaster but you know i think that the the marine corps for me made it an easier transition because just it made me so stubborn that once I got it in my mind that, hey, we're doing this and I don't care who tells me, no, we're going to figure it out. And finally, we found a bank that they openly said that we were crazy, like it wasn't going to work. Even I love Marty, you know, Marty Williams built this yeah. place for me. And I remember sitting with him. He's like, dude, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, are you sure? And uh, I said, yeah, because he knew what the construction was going to be. I didn't. I yeah. was so naive. He knew what this thing was going to, what, what it was going to look like. He's like, bro, I hope you know what you're doing. I said, yeah, me too. And we just... We started and then right from day one, I think I had $600,000 into this project before one piece of steel went up. And I mean, when you start, you're cutting check after check after check and you're just burning into this, you've got a, an allotment of money that you need to build this whole project with and you're 600000 in and, you're, and you're, you're like, man, we haven't even- We haven't thrown shit up. We nothing. haven't went vertical yet. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell people when, when I, I don't try and talk people out of it. I just- I just want them to understand what they're biting off. And um, because now, sure, we're at the end of our eighth year at the new space. It's finally starting to make sense. Like yeah. the last 24 months, I've been able to be like, okay, you know what? Maybe this was a good idea. The previous six years were not like that. You know, every time we turn around, you're trying to fix this, you're trying to get a, a, a new tenant, uh, you know, solidified and, and kind of settled in. And every time a new tenant comes in, you're on the hook for, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to get their their outfit ready to go. So yeah. it was just like this constant, as soon as you got comfortable, boom, more money coming out, more money coming out. And there was, it was, I always felt like I was writing all these big checks. And I was like, man, at what point do the checks start to come in where I can keep it? I mean, it was six years before that started happening. A lot of, a lot of people, especially in Charlotte, they know you, they know this building, they know the story. And it's like, oh, that dude's been playing whack-a-mole for whatever the six-year period and they're like well you know you've got you got all these tenants i'm like you think people just showed up and all signed up on january 1 and all the leases run concurrently no they all go in then one guy drops out and fuck i gotta find that guy then another year goes by and like oh shit i gotta start thinking about them or someone wants to knock down a wall and take over the other suite and so you okay it and then they go out of business now you're like, fuck i have this larger suite that's harder to lease it's a never-ending thing and it's a job that you took on that was essentially, I mean, when you opened your gym, probably we could, and I would say this for myself, I had no business owning a business at that mm-hmm. point, but you got in the landlord and there's no like, not like you took in a fucking course on landlord. Yeah. Like it's something you have to go, you learn and it just, it's kind of like you use math as probably your best fucking, you know, judge in your North Star. Does this mathematically make sense? Make talk to other people who can help make decisions for you. Now you're right. I generally tell people the same thing. I want to buy and build. Buy land, build. I'm like, it's probably a minimum of 300% more guaranteed than if you could we go and retrofit a mm-hmm. current structure. There's a lot of good stuff. There's no parking at this structure. We can make parking here, things like that. You're, you want an urban core location? Probably not happening because there's no fucking land in urban core. Like, where do we got to go to do this? Going back, and you've told me this before, but going back, you're at the first location. You have the money you've been given approved to do a loan to do something in commercial real estate of the tune of over $2 million. Would you buy land and build again? I mean, knowing what you know now, it's it's easy to say, but yeah, you can even include that in. Like, would you buy and build? If it was set up in a way that I could have multiple tenants the way that I've got here, if I, if I could easily retrofit a space and have, you know, 2,500 square foot spots, I would, I would buy an existing building all yep. day long. 
it's tough because up here in in North Charlotte, there was nothing. There was nothing here. There was no industrial areas you can go and, and find a spy, find a space. And it's still kind of like that. You know, there's huge distribution facilities, but there's nowhere with manageable spaces that you could really set up for a a multi-tenant building. So if I had that, I would absolutely, I'd rather retrofit sure. and do it that way. This know? is technically an industrial property, but everything you lease is retail. Yeah. You know, like you list those things as retail. And that's what I think a lot of people are like, fuck, who's going to come to my warehouse? I mean, this is right off, this is right off the highway. I mean, like you could not have picked a better site. What did that, what did the site selection look like for you? I've still got a PowerPoint. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw it the other day. Uh, there were seven places that we were trying to decide. And I say we, like it was a group of people. It was my, my wife and I, I'd go home and pitch my wife. And then I'd call my dad and be like, Hey, I'm sending you this PowerPoint, look at it. And he's got like 17 things going on. He's like, ah, yeah, they all look good. But there was nothing up here. So I had it broken down into size and price per acre and where, you know, what the streets were going to look like. And this was completely covered. It was wooded and it was really hard to visualize. I walked it probably 30 times. It was so much steeper than what I had originally. Because you look at it from the road, you're like, oh, it's pretty flat. And I just didn't want to get into a bunch of site work and grading. Yeah, and yeah. so this wasn't one of my top choices. I liked it because of where it was off of 85. I just didn't like it for the site work. And uh, when they cleared it off, we bought it, we, they cleared it off. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was so much worse than I thought. Like, cause people could tell you, your engineers could say, oh, it's, you know, 40 feet from front to back. And you're like, oh, what's 40 feet look like? And then they took the trees out and I'm like, so that's what 40 feet looks like. And I was like, oh man, there's going to be a ton of dirt to move. So yeah. Uh, yeah, but there were so many spots to choose from. And now you look back and man, we, it was just dumb luck. It was lucky to, to, to be here because we got the space next door. The other spot, you've got all the construction on, you know, if you come up by the, the regional airport off of Derrida, they expanded to four lanes. So everybody was losing a ton of their frontage. This has worked out to be a, a really good spot for us. That's, you know, I, I did the same thing. I always go back and look at what were the other buildings I looked at to buy or I, I, I toured or whatever. And I, I said no for one reason, whatever the reason was at the time. And it's like, you go back and look and be like, I think there's only one of them where I was like, nah, that would have fucking worked out really well too. But most of them, it, you know, it was like, oh, I'm glad that didn't go the way that that did. So you're in here now. Uh, how many total tenants? We got 12. Okay. 12 total tenants in here. How do you uh, marry the gym's rent versus tenant rent? So uh, what, what's the average square footage you're leasing at? You know, it's that's like per square foot. We're $24 out front. And then, you know, your interior spaces work off of just a gross lease. So we don't do okay. a per square foot uh, lease on the inside space, but the standalone spaces, the four spaces out front, they're between 22 and 24 to $26 a foot. And the issue we ran into with the gym is again, we had to be 51%. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and really, you know, you've got a, a company that owns the real estate and the gym, the gym pays the, the other company. So it's, it's a pass through expense for us. We charge the gym. It's got to be 20, Five twenty four thousand a month in order to to make those numbers work. Yep. So really, you know that fifty does doesn't take into account Vitality's rent. Got that, it. That we pay. Got it. Um, okay. So that fifty is completely outstanding with just your other tenants. Yeah. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I wanted to make sure that that was a true passive number, and I and that to me is just a way to pad that number, and and you know I could make that number whatever I want and say, oh yeah, I've got fifty thousand in, in, in passive sure. revenue when you really don't. It's just a that's a that's a that's a must have for the for the bank to write off on that yeah you no know, mortgage so your your current loan is with truist you've got what was it a, a 20 20 year am no well when we refinanced we did a 10 year so i've got three years left on a, then a balloon and then it'll then i'll refinance again yeah and yeah and i'll oh, put everything together hopefully uh <laughs> yeah because your 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 first refinance was what at two what two five two five yeah like right now i'm at two five <laughs> so you got to refinance in three yeah. I cuz I very similar I we're not going to see 25 probably no. not, not in three not in 3 years. Uh, how do you is it okay so how do you start planning cuz I I've had this same conversation myself. How do you start planning for okay the operating expense of this place is instantly with nothing else changing instantly is going up just because mm -hmm. of the interest rate. What is your plan on that? Or do you have stuff, Do you have enough margin that you're just going to accept the margin hit or are you going to try to make up for it on the tenant side? You know, I think what I can do, I, I, I won't try and make up for it on the tenant side. The, the, the big thing that I'm trying to figure out is 
how much does it make sense for me to pay down the debt? I understand why people don't my people leverage their debt. I'm, I'm, I understand that part of it. But me personally, my brain, my body doesn't work well with debt. I don't like own people money. I don't like being held hostage by a bank. So a lot of times people are like, well, you need to keep, you need to carry that debt because it's, you know, you can leverage it somewhere else. So there's a part of me that thinks that I can pay some of it off and, and, and create the difference sure. by just reducing my the, debt. It reduces the principal. But I don't know. I was just talking to the, the one of the bankers last week and we were joking around. I said, man, we, this better, all this crazy stuff better pass in 36 months because, you know, because we'll roll. There's a couple things. I've taken out some equity to, to buy a building back in Michigan and do some different things. Those will all get rolled into one and folded into one under one mortgage. That 2.4 that I still owe will really be, you know, 3.4. So, that, you know, I've got to be careful what that looks like. And, and, and I think for me, I've, I'll probably wait another 18 months and see what the numbers look like. And I think, I think I'll just end up eating the difference is what, what it's going to come down to, sure. you know? And if I've got, you know, I've got great, great tenants that the, the anchor tenants that we've got are amazing. If they're all situated and then everybody needs to understand too, if you come in and you lease space from me, the first two years, I'm not making any money. You know, everybody thinks, oh man, it's, it's so awesome. You've got 12 tenants. We, the first two years, you can throw away almost two and a half of those years that you're just covering the cost of the, the, the cost of getting them in there. And then it starts to make sense. And it's breakdown for everyone. Itemize what that is from the real from the broker commission to your upfit to all that. So if I've got a if I've got a tenant that is paying me five thousand dollars a month, well that five thousand dollars a month is sixty thousand dollars a year. It's gonna cost for a, a cold dark shell of gravel floor, it'll cost me a hundred and eighty to two hundred and twenty thousand dollars to get a tenant in there. Because they're gonna want they're they're gonna want that TI to to build it out. Most most businesses aren't going to come to you and say, "Hey, you know what? I'll trade you for a rent reduction because I'll do that all day long." Yeah. You want free rent for three and you'll years? Do the upfit, yeah. If you do the upfit, I'm good. But most businesses aren't going to do that. They don't have the cash flow to do that. They're going to say, the "Expertise hey, in con- commercial construction." Yeah, they don't yeah. want to deal with it. And really, I don't want them to go in there and, and mess around and do that. Yeah. I would rather be in charge, and make sure we do it right, and not cut any corners. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, you're going to end up providing a, uh, an allowance for them to come in. And let's say the allowance is one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Well, if they're only paying sixty thousand dollars a year in their 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 rent, then your first three years are a wash to get that back. Now, granted, if you're paying for the the TI, then maybe your maybe your rate's a little bit higher, and that's and that's fine. Uh, but still, you're two and a half years in before yeah. you even sniff some yeah. profit out of that. Yeah. Plus the the tenant broker that yeah. brought them, you know. And if you had a listing broker, there's six yep. percent right there. What kind of leases are you signing here? Are you going like fives, fives and sevens, sevens. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, most of our most of our leases are they were new businesses. The jujitsu school was a established business. The chiropractor was new. The yoga was fairly new when they when they got in here. So. It's tough for a new business to come in and, and, and bite off seven years. But a lot of the times when when we renew, we'll go from five to seven and we'll give them a little bit of a break if they go seven years. Because now, it's, for me, five years goes a lot faster than people think. Yeah. You know, I would much rather have seven years not to, not to worry about it, touch it, deal with it, and let them, let them go that way when they renew. Seven years is also just a lot for uh, the landlord to bite off for a new business on there. Because I mean, you're, you know, in your head, you know, you're like, I know what it's like to be a new business, and, and do I do I think they have them? Do are they going to make it? Right? If mm-hmm. you know, like yoga, you be like, ah, fucking yoga studios can Concord have? I don't know, but you know, they come in, uh, you make them sign personal guarantees. I did with uh, two of them only if they're really new, mm-hmm. and I put a ton of money into sure. them. Sure, I put a ton of money into them, then I'll then I'll ask for a personal guarantee. Yeah. and really nobody should be surprised at that anymore because nobody's getting money from a bank no. without a personal guarantee. No. Nobody. And you generally, I we're generally able to negotiate for most clients. Like, okay, let's say it's a seven-year lease; they want a personal guarantee, PG for a hundred percent the first three years, just so the landlord feels comfortable. As long as you don't have any hiccups in your rent payment. And then maybe then after that, it's just a one-year rolling guarantee. So at most, you're liable for one or do some kind of waterfall or some mm-hmm. stair-step kind of thing. Because that's all the land. The, the, the PG is just there because the landlord just wants an extra layer of protection, which it really isn't anyway. Because if you're broke, you're broke. Yeah. It, like, what does a PG do if you owe me four more years at $60,000 a year and you're broke? Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, 
we can go to court. I can do the whole thing. But at the end of the day, I just need to get back to work and get another fucking tenant in here. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's like, you know, the personal guarantee. I'm like, just you don't. Why wouldn't you? It's like a gym owner. A gym owner's like, you know, you have someone go ahead and give you maybe their ACH information because you know if they can cancel a credit card anytime. So getting ACH information is an easier way to make sure you're getting that money each month. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. You know, the nice thing is, is your business is tried and true. You've been doing this over a decade. In the day to day, more headaches on the gym side or the real estate side? It kind of ebbs and flows. I think now it's, it's, I'm able to focus a little more on the gym, but what it, what it makes me realize, and I think this is what I stress the most to people that I talk to about it is I look at how much work it takes to make a $30,000 a month. And then I look at how much work it takes to walk the mailbox and pick up my rent checks. And it's like, man, I mean, people have to understand the difference between 50-hour work weeks versus, yeah, there's some headache, but man, the mailbox money, the upside to passive revenue, there is nothing like it. There's nothing better than that. Until someone, and and the hard part is, is, you know, when I was, when it was 600 bucks a month yeah. and then it was 1200 bucks a month, you're like, man, if I, am I ever going to get there? But like we talked about before, if people just can, can buy into the long game and just start, yeah. whatever that is, if you don't start, you're never going to create any passive revenue. But if I can just start and I can slowly start to set some goals, then I can build my life around being a little more frugal for a little while and say, you know what? I'm going to cut this out until I can make my $3,000 a month passive revenue goal. And then it becomes a $5,000 a month. Then you get a new tenant and you're like, okay, maybe I can get $10,000 a month. And before you know it, you're eight years in and you're finally getting to that point where you're like, okay, you know, this is so much easier than trying to go service, you know, 50 hours of five or six hundred members, you know? So take me back to the beginning because, you know, you get $2.2 million loan and it was SBA in the beginning. So it was 10% Mm -hmm. down. So $220,000. Yep. Okay. Think about that. Like, how many years had Vitality been in business at that point? Four. Okay, four years. Was that cash that you guys had saved up? I mean, did you guys deplete everything? Did you do a friends and family loan? How did you raise the money initially? Because there's a lot of people that you could be in business for 10 years, save $10,000 a year, right? I can just do the math to figure out how much. There's always also, most gyms have one or two very wealthy members that have an affinity for the owner. And I'm like, there are people that will also go 50-50, like in my deal, me and my business partner, we went 50-50. He was a member. He wanted to get in the commercial. I wanted to get in the commercial. He was going to have to pay 35% down on a traditional bank loan because he doesn't own a small business. I got us a 10% SBA. So I had value. He had value. We come 50-50 with cash. How did you get started with that first? Because that first big nut is the down payment on the loan that a lot of people can't reconcile in their head. Uh, you know, I think back and. uh, if you talk to my wife, she'll tell you some stories. Man, I was I was really really disciplined. I use the word discipline. She uses the word frugal, whatever you want to call it. But when I was in the Marine Corps, it, you know, tax free deployments, we saved. I saved all of it. You know, when I I I feel bad. I, I think back and I feel so bad for. I was never hard on her. I just she knew how important it was for us to save for me to save money. I wanted to make sure that we were in a situation that when we got out of the Marine Corps, we had some things and had some opportunities. So I remember being deployed, coming home, and she she would have the same, like she was making like a sandwich for breakfast and lunch and having like never going out to eat, never spending money. And uh, I honestly think, I think I was, I don't know, I think she was spending like 150 bucks a week while I was deployed. And so we saved so much money. And that money, we just, we didn't touch it. When the gym came, me and her did everything. So our profit margins were ridiculous. When we when we first started, the first 24 months, we were printing money, but we were working 80 hours a week. It didn't matter though. So we had saved up the money we needed. The issue was we paid the 220, but when we initially got our financing, we knew that, I knew that we weren't going to be able to buy it or build it for what our initial number was. It was 1.79 or 1.78. That was the max that they were going to give me. So the the gamble that is it's is complete stupidity, but I said, okay, well, that we can build it for that. And Marty and I talked and he said, dude, you can't build this for that. I said, I know, but I think what'll happen is we'll be 1.79 million in, we'll be 65, 70% there and they have a choice to make. And the banks is, yeah. They're what are either, you called a note on you? They're either going to take it over and have to finish it themselves yeah. 
or they're going to give me more money. And uh, you think back to that, and it was such a dumb, like, how do you, how do you think that that's a good play? But that was, I was so convinced that it would work. It's so conflicting because you're so disciplined. I know. And you, you like, I, I can see you like you, you know, you're probably analytical. You have a spreadsheet for many things. I could see all that. And to throw that Hail Mary. I know. That- <laughs> but it was the 10th bank. And we were like, you know what? I'm not doing this again. I don't care what we have to do. We're, this is going to work. And we, I remember having the conversation and the president of the bank had called me and said, hey, um, what are you doing? What's going on? And I said, hey, listen, sir, here's what's happening. I'm, I'm short. He's like, how short are we talking here? And man, when I said the words out of my mouth, when I said 750, he was like, <laughs> oh man. So yeah, it was, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't super pumped about it, but, uh, I knew if we can get, I knew if we could just open the doors, it would work. So it did, you know, they gave us the money and we put another, I think, I think I was required to put another 120 down, 125,000 down. And that was the part that really hurt because then that went from whatever cushion we had, whatever like safety net we had was gone. Yep. I mean, we were, we were literally zeroed. Everything we owned was gone. Everything. That was the first spot that I was like, oh, we really, we really might've overplayed my hand here. But I think there's some truth to everybody likes to put their foot in the water and, and kind of just test and see, man, let me make sure it's not too deep. And I, I think that you got to jump in and just see if you can swim because I think if you if everybody has these safety nets, everybody has these backup plans, it's like the part-time, I'm going to be a firefighter, but I'm going to open a CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work because you're never fully committed and you don't have the fear of like, hey, if this doesn't work, we have nothing. Yeah. And I think that fear is what people need to kind of get them through some of that. And I can't tell you how many nights that I went to bed just staring at the ceiling like, man, I don't know what's going to. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. Our appraisal came in, you know, 280, almost $300,000 under. And, you know, that was our cush as well on each side and had to completely, you know, go to ramen noodle sandwiches, you know, type of scenario. And it's the only thing that's ever kept me in that scenario from not worrying too much because when you go all in on something like you and me did with the gym and fitness and training and coaching, I'm like, worst case scenario, I go to broke, I've, I've you know, Money didn't make me, so broke won't break me. I'll start coaching again in the fucking park. I'll make enough for a decent apartment, and then I'll, I'll do it all. If I, if I got to repeat the last seven years, it would suck. I would be a, not a nice, I'd be a miserable son of a bitch. Yeah. But I could do it. I, I have the skill set. Because that, that's the one thing, no one, the, you can always lose money. I can't lose the skill set I acquired. And then it would just be on me to just pick myself up and be like, all right, just go apply that skill set and do it again. And now actually you're smarter. So it took you seven years last time when you're dumb as fuck. You're smarter <laughs> now. You probably get done in three, yeah. right? Um, how did the appraisal process, so everyone, you know, this is a big thing. I got a lot of guys, this is where they get stuck. The bank funds them uh, for, let's say it's an existing building. Uh, let's say we're going to give you the sales price is one, one million. Well, you fucking better hope it appraises, you know, within that very close. If it falls under 300, that comes in at 700, the bank's only going to fund you to the amount, it's called LTV loan to value, to the amount that it fucking appraised for, not mm-hmm. for the sales price. But this was a hypothetical, right? You guys, did you have to get that initial like aspirational appraisal? Yeah. The issue that we ran into, and especially when you're building, the system isn't set up to be conducive for small businesses to build because the hidden cost just to get started. The preliminary stuff. Yeah. yeah. So no, I can go to Stu Brower, who's a, a, a GC, and say, hey, I need you to price out this project. Well, you're not going to take it serious unless you have a set of stamp plans. Mm-hmm. And I can't get a set of stamp plans unless I pay $92,000 to the architect. So I can go to the architect and get a set of preliminary plans, but the GC doesn't want to work off of preliminary plans because he's going to put a number on that based on what that contract price is going to be. So he's going to say, okay, cool, but you know, it, it might be a 30% Either way, Swing, yeah. and the bank doesn't want to, the bank won't look at that number. We had to go to the architect, find an architect, pay the $92,000, have the plans drawn, go to Marty, and then Venture would look at this. And because, you know, he's my best friend, he said, hey, here's what we can do to, to, to hit this number. That's what we'll do to the bank. So he did it the right way, but we both knew we were going to change some things. We both knew we were going to add a, a mezzanine. We both knew that we were going to expand a little bit. So the bank got their plans they set an appraiser up appraisal to look at the plans which is ridiculous and they said okay yes you're good you can start they started funding it and then we just started slowly making change orders and yeah yeah and you know 
<laughs> I didn't pay a dollar for any change orders. We, we, you know, Marty and I would walk it and, you know, he was, he's a genius. So he'd say, Hey, you know, what if he did this, this, and this, you know, you need to think about this over here. And we'd say, okay, yeah, let's do it. And we'd catch it before it got too, too far down. But, and that's what people think you can't work with your friends. You just have to have the right friends. You know, when people yeah. say you can't do business with your friends, I would say, if you can't, then you either have the wrong friends or you're not as close as you thought you were, because you should be able to, I should be able to tell Marty, Hey man, listen, this is what's going on. You know, I, I can't have this. I can't pay on this, this, this timeline. And he's going to say, okay, cool. Let's figure it out. And then that's what we did for, yeah. you know, 24 months. No, I agree. I, in the, you know, you hear that in the CrossFit scene and the gym scene, don't get, don't get a business partner, that kind of scenario. I think all those scenarios can work. It's just communication and expectation. If you if he does something to piss you off and you don't say anything and you let that build for a couple months, uh, yeah, that, that shit can go wrong. And even in this role where you're the GC, I don't know dick about GCs. You, you tell me what I don't know mm. and I'll tell you, I'll be fully honest with what I want and what I don't want. And as long as there's like, that's open and it's not throwing shade or being an asshole. It's like, no, no, that's just the information each party needs to be successful. And sometimes it could be a little combative, but there's some people that have a real fucking hard time giving someone advice in news or information that they're not going to like. Yeah. And I feel like guys like you and me, I don't think we've ever had a problem giving somebody information that we thought they weren't going to like. I think the problem you run into is there's so many people that, uh, that, that don't like to admit that they're not smart, not good at something or not smart about something. And to me, man, I, I'm never the smartest guy in the room. I just like to listen and, I, and, and figure out who's smarter than me. And guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to them and figure out how I can steal as much knowledge as I can and then apply that to make my life easier. And as long as you don't come across as the guy that knows it all, people are really genuinely want to see you, you, know, see, you, see you succeed and see you be successful. And I think people just have the wrong approach, the wrong, the mindset of, oh, I, you know, I it's my building. I have to be the, I have to be the smartest about everything, man. You don't. And, and with you, I think it's interesting because this gym real estate company, so many people don't understand site selection. They don't understand how big a space needs to be. And if you had somebody that could come in there and say, Hey, listen, here's my thoughts on this. Here's how big of a space that you really need. And, and you could sit down and they could explain to you what programs they're going to run do they want to have a multi-tenant building? Do they want to have a PT studio? What do they want to do with it? And then you could sit down and you can sit back completely unaffected by all the other factors and draw out a space and say, hey, here's what this looks like. Versus me who I had a space in my head. So I was trying to justify all the things I want to do with the space that I already thought I sure. needed. I didn't have anybody to come in there and say, have you thought about this? Uh, and that's where I think that the value is from somebody that is going to work with a broker that knows nothing about CrossFit, nothing about fitness, no yeah. matter what that is. Forget about it, man. What, that guy can add zero value in what he's going to tell you what the cam should be and tell you what the term should be. And then he, and you're going to say, hey, I'd like to meet at 1 p.m. And then he's going to call and be like, hey, my client wants to meet at 1 p.m. That's the extent of the relationship you're going to have with a, with a traditional bo- broker where you have the ability to come in there and say, hey, I screwed this up a long time ago. Here's what you need to do. Here's the... Here's the the uh, the way that you should construct the the size of the building. Here's what you should do with the interior. Here's how big the bathrooms need to be. Oh, you want to have twelve showers? Cool. You need three. Whatever that is, you know. I got a guy bought a building. We I didn't work with him when he was doing the building, but it, the building's open, and he wants he's got three spots out front, and he let his broker convince him what the sizing should be of these suites that he created. And he, you know, there's vanilla squares. And the idea was, okay, I want to have something like yoga, right? I want to have something maybe like Cairo, something synergistic, maybe something food, beverage, retail, something like that, not a full restaurant or anything. And he let the broker pick the size of these suites. And then now I get the project and I'm like, sweet A, so that's 3,600 square feet. What, what was planning on there? Like yoga. It's like, 3,600 square feet for yoga, the highest operational capacity. A yoga mat takes up 35 square feet with a human on it. And you, 3,600? He's like, yeah, we're not getting any hits on it at all for yoga. So he's like, well, no fuck, dude. Like, it, that's fucking three times bigger than what you need. It's just little things like that. Like, you know, and, I, and that's the hardest thing I tell people. When you're a gym owner and you buy a building, you got to take the gym owner hat off a lot of times. You got to just start thinking, it, it, you got to be thinking in this 20-year, 30-year window what will this place be when I'm not the person to do it? Or if I am building out extra space to have rent roll, 
I got to think about what could these spaces be? And it, and it can't be like, oh, it's going to be perfect if it's this one thing. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a size that could probably fit 12 different suitors for that, right? Like the spins, like, and I, I fucked up on the spin studio at Urban. You know, you, you, it doesn't sound like it'd be too complicated putting a coffee shop and a spin studio there. Like probably like that's not going to work from an audio acoustic standpoint, even with all the extra fucking soundproofing we put in. But we we purposely put them on an end cap of the side of the building and away from things. And in the way, you, you know, where the HVAC was to hum them out and all this other shit. It's just all these things that you don't think of. And God, you know, the, it's the broker. I don't expect him to know that shit either. He's he's literally doing your appointment and then going and leasing out a fucking subway down the street and mm -hmm. fuck it at two o'clock. It's just not what they do. In your experience working with brokers, the ones that are bringing you the, the tenants, the ones you've listed, have you had overall good experiences? I mean, for most part, my experience has been good on my side. I can't speak the same for other people, but you know, we I've never worked with a broker yet. I've every space that we've gotten, I did myself. There's an attorney who's a really really good guy. One of my members referred me to him and I've had him look at my leases. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I've done. And we've just had, when we first opened, there were so many people that, that wanted to occupy the spaces that I didn't need to go out and search for them. The church kind of fell in our lap. We got really fortunate with the, the initial kind of draw of tenants. Now, two years from now, three years from now, I'll probably have to go on that road because I think I was much hungrier eight years ago to, to cut the cost down to where now I'm like, you know what, what's it going to cost me to not have to deal with the headache of trying to go acquire a new tenant? Maybe I'll pay that, you know, but sure. that's the beauty of if you can get your passive revenue to a, a number that you're happy with, then you can start to make concessions on things that you might not have done in the past because now you've got that cushion back. You've got some of the, the, the your, your time is worth a little more to you now. And that's kind of where I'm at now. My my kids are 15 and, and 10, and I don't want to spend, you know, 13 hours here at the gym. I want to spend nine hours at the gym. Yeah, I want to yeah. go home, and I want to have dinner with my family. Yeah. And, and, and there's things that I used to do that I don't want to do anymore. And I, and I think the, the hard part for me, and I think every gym owner is going to feel the same way, is how do I take my foot off the gas without taking my foot off the gas? You know, I'm, I'm where I am now. I'm, I'm lucky to be where I am. I'm fortunate. We've, we've had a successful run, but we, were, we got that way because of, the mentality that I had. And now by taking my foot off the gas, now I'm worried, man, am I pulling back too much? You know, am I, am I missing the mark by not chasing things like I used to chase? And that's a, you know, that's a, that's a hard conversation that people have to have is I think some people do that too, too early on and they, they have a little bit of success. And instead of riding that wave and trying to, to get it while you can, they pull back and they want to be hands off and it's too, it's too soon. And then some people, you know, my old man is 72 years old and he's still, you know, deep in all kinds of things. And I'm like, man, I don't want to do that because now it's too late. Now you've missed, you know, he loves it. He needs to work off that. He loves the stress of it. That's not me. Yeah. You know, I, I'll, I'll do something always, but I'm never gonna, I will have nothing stressful in my life. I will build my life to where it's not stress um, <laughs> so that I don't have to do that. So there's, you're trying to find that, that in-between, and I think that if you're a gym only, you're going to have a really hard time finding that in-between. If you can have some passive income, and, and maybe, you don't, maybe you don't have a multi-tenant building, but maybe you've got a gym, but you're able to invest in some real estate, you're able to do some different things that create some passive revenue that will allow you to make that transition a little bit easier. It's really tough to do if you're just a, a, a one revenue stream business what was the who or what was the first thing that put in your head back at the original vitality commercial real estate was the long-term wealth play man i, I don't know uh, you know the benhams dave and jason benham are are two of the smartest guys i've known and I, I was lucky enough to have them be like the first five members i had in the gym they were the only ones that understood that i that i was like man i understand what they're talking about i understand the way that they look at finances i understand why they don't spend money on flashy things that that's, that was never me, and that made a lot of sense. And then I started looking at what they were doing. That was when residential was big, and they had a lot of rental homes. I didn't want to go that route, so I said, man, if, if I could build a building, why wouldn't I just put it all under one roof where I can control everything uh, and be in the obsessive-compulsive you know, guy that I am? It, it made perfect sense, so I could just I, – I didn't have to travel all over the place to, to see – what the investment was, it was right here. Yeah. I, I got buddies that, you know, especially with Airbnb and they're like, ah, oh, I've got 30 Airbnbs. I'm like, that, that sounds like my fucking nightmare, dude. 
30, like Airbnb short-term rentals or fucking even just regular residential rentals, one-year leases. And I'm having to find that new piece of shit every, every year that treats my place. Like it's a rental. Cause it is, and we new all know carpet, what happened. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. fuck. I mean, listen, that's nothing, not to take away from anyone who does that. It just, um, that was something, same thing. Cause I had that, I, that was my bad. I was like, I have to do something here in this guy Kawasaki kind of like theme, right? Like where I like, I'm like, okay, I definitely want to go the passive route. If it wasn't going to be commercial for you, what would, would it just been get a good financial planner and just, cause you've been doing this for 15 years now with the gym thing. You know, you probably could have as diligent as you are shoveled the money away, invested it well, and, and had a nice size little nest that you've obviously put that on steroids here. What do you think you would have done if this wouldn't have panned out? I probably would, you know, I was big index fund, index fund yeah. guy. I, I never liked the idea I can't remember what the book, uh, uh, the Bogleheads or the, whatever it was, the Bogleheads Guide to Investing. And I started looking at all the the small little percentages that these financial advisors were taking, these managed funds were taking. And it just made so much sense. Why would I pay somebody else yeah. to manage the money? Why wouldn't I just do an index fund where I can watch it myself, pay attention to it, and not have to not have to deal with it? So that's, I probably have a quarter of my stuff into that. And I just... That that would probably what I would do. I would put everything I owned into that and just hang know. out. You just index fund is great. You, you can do a target date one, and it just kind of goes with that as a glide rate. And you know, but you are it's a it's a thirty forty year thing, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's so okay. I got to keep making this money and doing this gym thing. And that's like when I show up, I, I got to speak in Nashville for push presses thing, and I'm presenting as the gym real estate company. And it's a depressing kind of opener, but it's like if you own a gym, I would love to hear everyone's retirement plan. And if it's like, I'm going to sell the gym, the business, it better be fucking remarkable, yeah. right? Like a lot of people aren't buying used gyms, especially when the gym owner still has a job within it, right? Like, you know, if it's i uh, I'm going to franchise or whatever, it's like, go talk to Brandon Cullen Matt about like, go see how that's a fucking 15 year gig as well. Yeah. Like, you know, but yeah, it's a real estate to me. It's just the most natural, the fastest way to wealth. If you own a gym. I've got guys in California right now wanted to expand the building, like wanted to like up fit and like put on another couple thousand square feet to the building. The landlord gave the okay on it. $250,000 loan could not get it. Simultaneously, this individual is going for their second PhD, got a loan to go to UCAL Berkeley, get his second PhD while he owns the gym. But, and that was what? $180,000 student loan. He got that. Also got approved for $1.8 million loan to buy a building. Couldn't get the 200 some thousand dollars to expand the motherfucker. Because the bank's like, I don't care. It's only $200,000. Where do we get our money back if you don't make it? This is post-COVID. Gyms have just left the sour taste in a bank yeah. for stuff like that. But on something like real estate, absolutely. A student loan, of course, they're going to fucking take your money on that bullshit every time. Yeah. But on real estate, he was able to go and get almost $2 million based on the, the merit of his business. And I tell guys, I'm like, listen, your gym kind of hits an apex. Like every business has a cycle, right? There's infancy and maturity. And then we get to this stage where like, that's probably the ceiling for you. It's going to be a decline at some point. We don't know when or how, but that's the moment when you think you're at that apex. That's when you want to borrow money from the bank. That's when you're going to get the most leverage, the best rate. You have more opportunity. And I've had people like waited too long and then lose two coaches, a fucking client fucks a married person, but like, and you know, there's decimation and, and now they're down $12,000 a month of revenue. It's like you missed your shot. Like you missed your moment you flew too close to the sun. If you show a bank, if they see a couple months of a of a decline, even if it's you know fifteen hundred dollars difference, it's crazy the red flags that come up from that. Yeah, when the bank was looking at me for mine, I got denied by the first couple banks, and then we got approved by a couple, and then we were kind of we picked ours. I actually picked a higher, slightly higher interest rate because I liked the relationship with the banker better. It was way less transactional. He actually came out to the site, walked with me, came to my gym, watched me coach a class was genuinely interested in what it was I was doing. Wasn't just looking at it on paper. And I, that, I always really appreciated that, that, that personal touch. Factory, okay, so they set up, they just literally come right in here. That's it. They do. And when they first came in, he just needed one weekend. He needed one Sunday because they double booked the Embassy Suites. And I said, okay, man, no problem. Come on in. And they had like 45 people. Small little setup, 45 chairs. I said, that's easy. Monday, he came in and said, hey, the church, the members, the, 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 they loved it. They really liked it. They loved the, they loved the look of it. They loved, they loved the space. They loved the look in the space of the gym. <laughs> what? He said, he said, man, can we figure out a way to make this work? I said, dude, I don't know if it, I don't know if this makes sense. Like, so we sat down and 
we agreed to a two-year lease, I think, at the beginning. And by the end of two years, they had 500 people in here. And I think for Easter, they had over 1,000, 8,000 people in here. So they come <laughs> Saturday at noon. They pipe and drape everything. They bring in a legit huge stage, monitor boards, and then... 900 to a thousand chairs. I remember I was supposed to be back because we were setting up for that for that workout with Lululemon, and I just I just watched. I remember just sitting here, just like taking my time, loading those torpedoes up, being like, I cannot believe what I'm looking at. The amount of people who have said to me, "Man, I wish I could find someone to use my gym," at, you know. Uh, the middle of the day on a Sunday, right? And I've tried everything. I've tried renting out gyms to um, AA meetings, fucking everything you could think of. Anything like but women's book reading clubs, the most off the wall shit. And then here you are, you've got a full budget. And how many, do they just do one service on a Sunday? That's it. One service. And then you know, we redid their, we restructured their lease because they want to run, they want to run youth uh, at night. So before I get my gym back around, 2 p.m. on Sunday, they'd have it done. And then they wanted to run a youth in here from six to eight. So then I started not getting it done till back to nine or 10 o'clock. And then they wanted their office. So they've got an office space in here that they rent out and it's 5,000 square feet of office space upstairs. And they needed a broadcast room. So they've got a broadcast room. So we'll check it out on the way out. But they've got 16 monitors and they control all of the TVs downstairs and lights. They hang, I mean, they've hung hundreds of lights in here. They've, they've got eight containers out there that they've, they've moved around. It's unbelievable. This is their fifth year, so. Yeah, that's, I mean, like, again, you just think of the dead time in this building when there's nothing else going on. And you, I mean, like, what a fucking, so much of this is, it's all hard work, good timing, good connections, which just equals luck, right? Like, luck isn't something like you're sitting in your home, sitting on your dick, and something awesome just happens to you, right? Like, it's like, it, it's where, how much are you moving in the fucking world? What good are you doing to some other people? What good shit have you thrown out there that comes back to you? And then how fucking hard have you worked for it? And you can work so goddamn hard on one vertical and it doesn't pan out. And then this other thing happens. Like, oh, that got lucky. Like, yeah, there's some energy getting carried over from that other fucking thing, right? Yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's taking the time because it's a hard thing to figure out. When someone says, man, can we rent your gym? on a Saturday or Sunday for church, your initial reaction might be yes. And then you start diving into how do you set this up? And it's like, okay, maybe it's more trouble than it's worth. If you just sit down and, and, and figure it out, the numbers are the numbers. You, you tell me what it's worth to have someone come in here on a Sunday and do it. Now, the good thing is, you know, I knew that the pastor, Andy, was a perfectionist. So when I get, when you come back in here on Sunday, like they had a thousand people in here. Monday morning when I come in, you will not notice one thing. They they scrub the whole floor. They clean everything up. You know now, the, there's things. You know people spill coffee on the turf. Fifteen years ago, that would have drove me crazy. Now, like okay, you know what? At some at some point, we'll replace the turf. Sure. You know? and it's such a good relationship, a good deal. I think it's a great deal for him. I think it's a great deal for me. And anytime that you can, that it's a win win. Then it becomes really hard to leave. It becomes really hard to. Nobody wants to, to get rid of it. It's like Brent, who runs my Eagle Fit program. He's got a great deal. I don't yeah, think yeah. he's ever going to leave. Yeah. And, and he, he knows he's indispensable. Like, I can't, he, he, it's, you know, if you can if you can set it up to where everybody wins, it makes it so much easier versus, for example, we had this this huge space upstairs at the, the church's headquarters is at their offices. We had a business called Repucon in here. Repucon did all the, they were a sports marketing company. They did yeah, they did the uh, NPR, Net Promoter Score stuff. I remember coming in here for that presentation. Yes. Super good people. There's like seven, seven guys working out of that 5,000 square foot office. And the person that was the VP just happened to be a friend of ours and a client of ours for six years. So when we structured this lease, it was an amazing lease. I mean, it was awesome. We paid a ton of money to get them in there, but I mean, they were paying like $8,100 a month for that space. It was awesome. And um, they had, it was a five-year lease, but we didn't know what the sound was going to be like. So when they signed the lease, they had a three-year out that they could exercise just because of what the noise of the gym was to be. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. And I said, yeah, let's put it in there. Everybody was happy. And we were just rolling. And uh, Repucon got bought out by Nielsen, Nielsen Ratings. 
So Nielsen came in and they started to clean house and they started moving people around. And I lost my VP. He went somewhere else. And a new guy came in and he's like, dude, this space is incredible. Why do we have this space? We have five people in here. And I was like, oh man. And he asked for a copy of the lease and we had like uh, a month before the, the option came up. And we were sitting at my desk and it was the Friday, they had till Friday at 4.30 to exercise their option. And I'm literally sitting at my desk, it's 4.25. <laughs> Why were you here? I would have been gone, cell phone off, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way. It's 4.26, I'm texting my wife because she, she, she knew I was stressed out about it. I'm like, we're good, it's 4.26. <laughs> like, a bad movie, dude, 4.29, my phone rings. And I'm laughing to myself, like, there's no way yeah, yeah. I pick it up. They're like, oh, this is so-and-so from uh, Nielsen Resources. I said, hey, how you doing? So we just want to let you know that uh, we just emailed and faxed over our option to terminate. Uh, just want to give you a heads up. You know, like, you got to be kidding. So anyway, you know, and then, you know, three months after that, the church decided, you know what, we need a place to stay. Yeah. So they took it at a, at a much lower rate. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's one of those things that if you can just be a little more, you know, a, a little more flexible, which I, that's not, that's not who I am, but I'm getting better at that because things just change so much. And if you can just control the emotional attachment, it's like you always talk about when you, people get emotionally attached to members leaving. Yeah. Right? You can't. Yeah. And uh, same thing goes when, when things don't go your way, you just got to figure out like, Hey, you know, crying and whining about it's not going to fix it. You just figure out what's the best way forward and, and you just start, you start moving and you pivot. Last thing I want to hit from you with everything you got going on, obviously and you're doing the, <laughs> doing the weed building in Detroit, which I fucking love. And you got this thing. What else are you also looking at in uh, real estate? This is, this is not, this is passive, but it's with you being the landlord here, this is as active as it gets. I've looked at a lot of multifamily kind of thrown in a chunk uh, of that, which I like. Charlotte's multifamily scene is not going to take a hit anytime soon. I, I think that's safe. It's easy. You've shared some of this stuff. I think it was storage based type scenario. So what other things do you look at? Because obviously, like once you get into real estate and you were like a schmuck like me can make it in a, like a guy like you who's fucking, we have no business in this world. Then when I look at funds and stuff with people in them that actually know what the fuck they're doing, I'm like, oh, well, that's like whether it's an oper you know, an opportunity zone fund or whatever it is. So what else are you looking at and would you invest your money in now that you now everyone thinks you've quote unquote made it here, yet you're still looking at other things too? Because again, you can't just take all this money home with you. You don't want to pay that much in taxes. So the fund that I've been looking at and I got into early uh, December last year, it's a fund that focuses on three spaces. You've got your storage, you've got multifamily, and then you've got student housing in, in, in big division one markets. And I really liked the way that they operate. They stay away from the volatile markets like New York, New Jersey, mm -hmm. California. They're, they're, they're working more in North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Texas, Georgia. And what they do is they will find these deals. And this, this, this fund that I got in was a $100 million fund. And you buy into it. If you're qualified, you buy into it. And you get 6% a month. And then you get 6% on the back end. And then you get a portion of the upside of what the, the sale comes at the, at the end of it. So it's a five-year hold. And what I looked at was if you could invest for three straight years, if you can suck it up, save the money, invest for three years, by year five, your first year comes back. And now you've got that income that comes back. You've recaptured your initial investment. You can roll, works out to be 70% of that into your year five. Then year six, your second year investment comes back. And you can almost create this revolving door of wealth that can build. And as you as you make a little more money, you can invest more money. So I think the minimum was 250 and and you know you could invest as much as you wanted to, but if you could just if you could get that 250 to roll and and be able to set that in motion, then you can really set it up to where you've got a windfall every year, year after year. And if you wanted to get out and buy something different, you'd have your, your nut right there, maybe $330,000, $340,000 at the end of that uh, five-year cycle to where you can either roll it back into a new fund mm -hmm. or 
take that out. Take your gains and yeah. And take gains and grow. So I like the idea of a very hands-off approach where I don't have to deal with it. But I also like the idea of being some monthly cash flow. So, you know, that 250, it only makes me 1250 a month. But all of a sudden, if you're in three of those funds, mm-hmm. now you're now you're starting to get, you know, sure. a little more aggressive. So that's what's kind of exciting me now is if you can find the right people, I really like the group that I, that I that I met and I talked to. They, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I've always been a guy. I don't like people that drive flashy cars, do business with those guys. I'm like, you know, if you're wearing a Timex Iron Man, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm your guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that that's just something for me, uh, you know. And and so that's for the last probably eight or nine months. That's what I've been looking at. You know, if the if the weed guys get break into, they're actually trying to get to North Carolina because they think North Carolina and Florida will be medicinal. What will be the next kind of down most of all, you know, I don't know that you'll ever find deals like that one back in Michigan, but if I did, I would, I would mortgage everything I own. Yeah. It's funny. The the number one asset class that you see on the East coast that's being purchased up in non-medical marijuana legal states is warehouses. And you have those guys buying up flex space warehouses in states like North Carolina to the fucking nines. And they're just going to buy it in cash because they sit on all this cash. A lot of it still can't go into banks, right? A lot of it, right? So they buy the seven, seven, they like, will eventually be legal. And now I've got my seven grow houses out at, outside of Asheville, yeah. right? So like when I'm looking for spots and people like, man, I want industrial. It's easy to find. I'm like, kind of sometimes like there's, there's a lot of people buying up a ton of industrial, which wasn't a thing previous, you know, to 08. And then the crash happened. And I honestly, CrossFit gyms revived a lot of industrial, like the, the seeking for industrial space. Otherwise it was just storage manufacturing, you know, shit that were causes your environmental phase one study to fucking trigger and having to get a phase two, that those kind of uses. And I think you're in a good spot for these gyms that again, that's just, that's a, that's a great reason for people to look at investing in the real estate and buying their buildings because there's never going to be a need to not have this type of space. Yeah. Who's going to be there? And to your point about, you know, we're not one suitor that's going to be here. There's a, there's a ton of people that can come in here and do something like this and, uh, and use this type of space. So it just, it, 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 this space next door, this, this gravel lot, we had a guy come in and say, Hey, um, I've got a bunch of these 40 foot trailers. I can't store in my backyard anymore because I'm getting charged by the city. Would you let me store them here? And I came back and I sat down and I was like trying to figure out what, you know, I made a couple of phone calls to uh, my neighbor. Here's a storage guy. And I said, what would you charge? I'm not trying to steal business from you, but you can't fit a 40 foot trailer anyway. What would you charge? And we, we looked at it and I said, man, okay. And so I charged him 1100 bucks and he comes and parks nine rentable trailers in there. And it's like, yeah, you, you never know, but, but space and is never going to be yeah. something that people. They're not have. building more land. No. no, they're not building more land. And the, what what was an industrial now? Like, never one ever thought we'd all go to warehouses and drink craft beer, right? Like, or anything like that. Like the use cases. The nice thing, like everyone wanted to win the beauty contest, the commercial real estate. Like, I go to all these meetups and these commercial real estate things of guys that I don't know, and they ask me why I'm there, and I'm dressed like this, and like. All these guys now are eating fucking crow because they all tried to win the beauty pageant in office space from 2014 all the way to what happened in COVID. And now they're all sitting with their dick in their hands. And, you know, industrial is a little, is way more interesting now, right? And, and, and multifamily is obviously, but it's, you know, it's, it, it cycles, it ebbs and flows, right? Bodybuilding was really lame when you and me got on the CrossFit. Look at the resurgence of bodybuilding now. It, it, everything is cyclical when you look at that. So don't ever call something a thing yet or say it's, dead or whatever, most things revive themselves on some t- on a long enough timeline and they come back in the vogue. But Steve, man, I, uh, I appreciate your time, dude. You were absolutely, you, you were one of my favorite stories uh, to tell people of like, you know, from you, trust me, you can do this. I know someone who's admittedly admit that he's not a smart businessman. I remember when I had you speak at the self-made summit, it was just one of those, like you're the most humble and everyone's like, I'm, li- I'm coming here to see Steve speak. And I, I, for some reason that blows your mind. I think that you, you have such a great business brain on you. It's like, I like the simple brilliance of people. Like I don't have an MBA from fucking Brown, but I just, I just see the world for what it is. I know what I don't know. And I go find out what I know. That's something I've always respected the fuck out of you. Cause I, I feel the very same way. I am no smarter than the version of me 
six hours ago, but hopefully I'm smarter than the version of me yesterday. And that's the only thing I can just incrementally fucking move up the, like, I'm never going to be as smart as someone doing commercial real estate for 20 years. But I hopefully I just kind of, you know, you dive in, you learn shit, you fuck, you fuck up, you do it wrong. And, and that's, I mean, that's the way you learn. I've always really appreciated that about you. And dude, this is just... This is just such an amazing spot that you created, man. Not only is inspiration is like a gym owner seeing like what's possible, but also just, I mean, to step in a whole other industry. I mean, like you killed it in the gym industry. Not a, not a, not a, absolutely. You are as relative and of a landlord, like in the landlord is anyone else that owns a shopping plaza in Concord right now. I mean, realistically, you got 12 tenants. I mean, like the amount, it's phenomenal, dude. I'm, I'm so happy for you, dude. I really appreciate So it. happy. It's been a wild ride. And I'll tell you one, I'll finish one last story. I was, I was coming back uh, on a trip with my wife and we, I got I was logging into American Airlines to get on the to get on a plane and we were coming home it sent me this message that said hey you can upgrade for $92, $92 to first class and I my wife and I don't ever fly first class she doesn't even ask me it's not even like it's not <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I just I see, but you least takes it an exit row I'll take an extra room. Yeah, yeah. For if you guys are on the audio right now, Steve's only eight foot fifteen. And on the way out there, we got an extra row, and it was just like the most uncomfortable seat. I was just bitching the whole time. On the way back, I was like, man, you know what? Ninety-two dollars. God, I think I'm gonna do it. And I, and, I, and I buy these upgrades, and I show my wife, I'm like, hey, we're, we're, we're daddy splurged. She's like, are you serious? And it was like a kid in the candy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's just funny, like, you know, you spend so much time and, and, and I think we're finally at that spot to where, you know. You don't know how to enjoy your wealth. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's like, I don't know what it's like to make my, not have to worry about, is this going to ever, like, is it, you make some money when you don't have it and you're like, am I going to lose it? Yeah. Will it ever come back? No, this is the only time I'm ever going to have this. And then you're like, okay, I've, it's been a little bit of time and I haven't completely lost it all. So yeah. that's good. I hope you have more first class trips in your future, buddy. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks. Thank, thank you, brother.